Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Seat at the Table podcast. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast focuses on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, featuring thoughtful conversations and insight from experts, change makers, and leaders from the business world. This episode of A Seat at the Table is not only featured as part of HRDA's Diversity Week, but it also celebrates Pride Month, which recognizes the impact that LGBTQ individuals have had on the world. This is the perfect time for HR leaders and organizations to assess their company's DEI efforts as well. One of those important efforts is implementing and using pronouns at work. According to a recent report by the Pew Research Center, about 1.6% of adults are openly transgender or non-binary, and about 5% of people younger than 30 are transgender or non-binary. That is, their gender differs from the sex they were assigned at birth. My guest today is one of the world's few transgender CEOs, and she transitioned at the age of 56, coming out as trans in an email to her entire company. I'm excited to have Wynn Nolan, CEO of insurance firm Bradley & Parker, join me today to discuss tips for employees and employers who are implementing a preferred name at work. All right, everyone, get comfortable in your seats and let's dive in. Wynn, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's a pleasure for you to be here. Thank you for being here. We're going to dive straight into things here. When my first question for you, please tell me, what is your definition of having a seat at the table? Well, first of all, I think it's a privilege to have a seat at the table. And to me, having a seat at the table is being in a position um, to help make decisions, help influence policy and practices, um, and contribute to uh, a more beneficial society or business or, or whatever pursuit, you know, you're in the, you're in the midst of. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that win. And of course, today we're gathered, we're talking about implementing a preferred name at work, which we're, again, as we are, as I already touted uh, with the Pew Research um, and one of their recent reports, uh, there are more transgender and non-binary people uh, coming out and, of course, entering the workplace as well. Uh, And some employers may have already going through this, if you will, or quite honestly, will be um, experiencing this soon. Before we dive into that, can you speak to your experience while trans, while excuse me, transitioning uh, as a CEO, coming out in an email to your company? How was that? Yeah, so um, I think the lead up to it, as you might imagine, was a little anxiety producing. Um, you know, I just think as human beings, um, we're always somewhat trepidatious of the unknown and. And there's no way to know with certainty what people's reactions are going to be to any kind of a change, um, you know, whether it's it, it's what we're discussing or, or any or any other type of change. So I certainly had a lot of uh, trepidation uh, and concern about um, how that announcement would be received. Um, I feel very fortunate and yes, even very blessed that that announcement was received pretty much universal and resounding support. So uh, I had a pretty easy time of it. 
Um, you know, there were a couple of blips here and there uh, in the work atmosphere, but they were really very, very isolated. Um, and I ended up being supported not just by the team of employees that I'm fortunate enough to lead, but also by our business partners, our clients, our vendors. Um, you know, we interact with a lot of different people on a day-to-day -day basis in the world of business. And, and by and large, my own, my own story was pretty positive. And, and that's one of the reasons why several years ago now, um, when I got approached, we decided to go a little bit more public um, about the situation um, that transpired with me personally, because I thought that it was a positive story. And I think with a lot of the negative stories we hear, especially recently uh, about the trans community, it wouldn't hurt to have some more positivity out there. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, and a great nod to uh, such a courageous story. Uh, and I also saw the piece in the Wall Street Journal. It, it was awesome. Which amazing, right? That, that, that never ceases to amaze a lot of people in the media. Because, you know, the Wall Street Journal is owned by Rupert Murdoch. It's a very conservative publication. And very candidly, in the past, uh, before that piece about me a couple of years ago, um, they were not very trans-friendly. And that was obviously a very, uh, for anybody who's, who's been able to read it, it was a very, very positive piece. Um, and, and also, interestingly enough, you know, you, you just never know where the allies are going to come from. Um, I was also interviewed on Fox News. So, you know, Fox News and Fox Business, they're known to be the most conservative of conservative outlets. And that was also very positive coverage on, on myself and our company. Mm -hmm. Very respectfully done. Um, and yet... Some of what we would hope to be our allies um, were not interested in the story at all. Uh, they kind of let us know, well, if there had been more conflict, maybe we would have been more interested in it. So it's odd where you find your allies, right? So, so most people here in the New York metro area would have thought, oh, well, the New York Times will give you a sympathetic story about something like that. Stay away from the Wall Street Journal. Or MSNBC or CNN would be a good venue for you to be on. Stay away from Fox News. And it turned out that the opposite was true. No, I was going to say, that's, and that's, a, I would assume, a pleasant surprise. You know, you think that your allies are going to be a certain group of people or people in general. And then it turns out to be the person who or the people who you thought may not be so uh, friendly or receiving. That has to be a, a, a nice thing. It was very, it was very heartening. And, and, you know, this is a little astray of our topic, but, but I don't think so in a lot of respects. You know, we're in a place now in this country, unfortunately, at least in way, my way of thinking, mm -hmm. that, you know, we really are a divided nation, right? And you have two narratives coming out, you know, one on the left and one on the right. And, and what I find is very unsettling is that to me, the narrative seems to be driven by the extremists in both of those positions. And most people in America are not extremists. Most people in America live in the middle and their voices end up not being heard because the narrative gets driven by these two extremists. 
And, and, you know, that's whether you're talking about trans issues or defunding the police issues that were so, you know, crazy a couple of years ago. Um, because when you talk to, to the people in the middle who this stuff is supposed to be about, they have a very different opinion than the two extremes. They're usually someplace, you know, in the middle. Um, so I think it's, it's unfortunate that those voices get drowned out. Um, and I think one thing, um, those of us who do occupy kind of the middle space is we have to work a little bit harder, though, at making our voices heard. Because I think most people that are kind of compromise, you know, they compromise on things and they don't have an extreme position one way or another. They kind of just sit back and let things happen. And that's a mistake, because when that happens, then the extremists on both sides drive the results and you kind of just get left hanging. Absolutely. Absolutely. Beautifully said. Thank you for that. I'm going to... Reel it in a little back <laughs> uh, to get back to our uh, conversation here. But uh, for HR leaders uh, who have employees who are coming forward or, or perhaps even just in the company period, let's just say that, uh, saying, hey, this is my preferred name uh, and these are the pronouns uh, that I, I want you know you to acknowledge. What tips can you give them who are getting used to that change? Yeah, I think... I think that, first of all, uh, companies need to have clear and demonstrable policies regarding these kinds of issues. Um, the, the easiest way for things to run astray is to not have clarity in what the company's position is on on these kinds of matters. So that's the first thing. The company has to be clear in what it expects. And in this case, it's pretty simple, right? Uh, the company should convey that we expect our team members to respect the choice of their fellow team member with respects to their name and pronouns. It, it's pretty simple. Um, but it is important that that be conveyed. And then once that's kind of conveyed, it's really simply a matter of, um, and I, I'm trying to use a think of a better word, but policing the, the policy and to make sure that people are following it. Now, I can tell you from my own experience, um, you know, I'm not a youngster, I, I, although I hate to admit how old I am, I'm not a youngster. And when I came out and changed my name and changed my pronouns, Many people knew me um, uh, under my previous identity for 20 or 30 years. That, that was not uncommon. So, you know, things in life kind of get hardwired, right? How I see you if you present a certain way each and every day for 25 years, that gets hardwired. If I'm used to calling you a certain name every day for 25 years, that gets hardwired. So I think people, even those with the best intentions, because of that kind of hard wiring, it sometimes takes some time for them to kind of rewire their pathway. So there's going to, so for somebody who's trans or even somebody who just for some reason changed their name, if they were known as one thing for a long time in a, in a work environment, there are going to be slip ups after they change and those should be expected and um, understood. There is, though, a time 
when if that continues to happen, then it's because of carelessness and not just that that rewiring that needs to take place. Um, and and of course, that's that's kind of this. That's kind of where it gets a little sticky. Um, I personally didn't really encounter that myself. Um, I encountered plenty of mistakes early on, but now, what is it, five or six years in for me, it virtually never happens uh, anymore, ever. I mean, I can't even remember the last time it happened. But I think some, but I think some people in my position need to be a little understanding that you know, for years and years and years, Bianca, I knew who I was internally wasn't matching what I was putting out there, right? But if you knew me for 20 years before that, you had no idea of that internal struggle. You just knew me for who I was. So so people need to be a little understanding on both sides of this question um, to allow good progression and, and adoption of the preferred name and pronouns. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. And of course, it's a, it's a change for both people. Correct. Yes, it's, it's your change is the most important, you know, the person's change. But it also, like you said, it goes back to that understanding as well. Like, hey, it's OK. People are going to make mistakes. I'm not going to, you know, pummel you if, if you get something wrong. But after a certain time, it's like, OK, you've had time to process. Now it's a choice. Right. And, and it's funny. It's hard to, you know, it's really hard to quantify. But I can tell you that from, from myself personally, and I know other people I've spoken to, you get to the point where you can kind of tell when it's just a slip up and when somebody's trying to make some kind of a statement. You know, you can just get there's just, you know, there's just a vibe you get. And, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then that goes back to what you said about policing that policy and making sure people follow it. Right. And that's, and that's management's job and that's HR's job. You know, if someone makes a mistake, fine. If somebody continuously makes a mistake and the person who's being misgendered or, or mis, uh, misnamed, that's not the right word, but you know what I mean, um, goes to HR and says, okay, listen, you know, it's been six months. This person is constantly doing this. It's getting embarrassing. Well, then HR or that person's manager needs to call them in and say, hey, listen, this is the company policy. You need to really work on this. And and if you don't work on this, there are consequences. Yeah. So holding them accountable. Right. I mean, you know, if you have certain tasks you are supposed to do in your job and you don't do them, well, you're likely to get called in by your boss and your boss is likely to say, hey, listen, you know, we like you, but, uh, you know, you have some tasks here that you're having a, a problem with. We need to get you on a path so that this doesn't happen. Okay. Well, if it continues to not happen, usually that person doesn't have a job anymore. Um, you know, in this, in, in, in corporate America, there are consequences if you don't do what is expected of you. Um, it's just that sometimes things like this, even though they should be raised to that level of consequence, are not. And, and that's the part that needs to, to be changed where it isn't happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Uh, and this is a great segue to my uh, next question here uh, and ties in beautifully, I think, uh, because, of course, that when, when and correct me if I'm wrong, but when that happens, 
let's keep going with the example you gave six months down the line someone has come out as trans or non-binary this is my preferred name these are my preferred preferred uh, pronouns uh, and this person continues to you know not acknowledge them or be rude about it the person who has come out and saying this they still have to be comfortable to want to use you know these pronouns and names some people may uh, revert back to just fit in again, if you will, for example, you know, so what advice do you have for company leaders to ensure their employees feel comfortable expressing and using their preferred names? Well, that that goes back to that goes back to having a clear um, and and defined policy on these things. And not only just having those policies, but making sure that employees and team members know that you're serious about these policies and that they're not just window dressing. Um, and, and that's something we see a lot of today. Um, you know, fortunately, I think it's starting to get a little better, but, you know, companies and business leaders will make statements, put out policy memos, um, you know, amend employee handbooks, to include some of these things that we're talking about, you know, because it's politically correct to do so. So they'll put those things in in writing someplace, somehow, but yet they really don't practice them. Um, you know, in, 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 in this kind of a situation, as well as so many others in business, it really isn't just what you say, it's how you behave and it's how the company acts, um, you know, do team members see leadership um, making sure that they do the right thing? Um, you know, that, that, that whole, I think that whole adoption runs downhill from the top. You know, if, the, if you don't see the leadership doing it, the rank and file probably aren't going to do it either. Absolutely. And you just answered my next question I was going to ask you. What should employees expect from their leaders and peers as they make that change and it's about how they be, behave and act in that coming from the top down. Correct. Correct. Is there anything that you like to talk about or highlight that we have not talked about on this important topic? Well, the only thing I would like to say is that, you know, I come to this from a few different angles, right? So first of all, you know, I'm the CEO of a significantly large financial service company here in the New York metro area. Um, so like, you know, other business leaders, um, I'm charged with, you know, making a profit for our company, um, giving our employees to me, this is an important thing, giving our employees um, a good place to work, a safe place to work, uh, enable them to succeed at their jobs. But at the same time, I'm, I'm involved in those things. I also happen to be a subject of some of these issues um, that were that we're talking about. And one thing I like to bring up all the time is that even though some of these things we're talking about for business leaders and management to implement are a little foreign to them, and that's generally because it's not just what they know, yeah. that most business leaders and management want to achieve good results for their companies. That's usually why they're in those jobs. There has been study after study 
that companies that do the right job uh, regarding diversity and inclusivity, which is an offshoot of what we're talking about right now, study after study has shown that the companies who are um, are effective at those DNI policies are more profitable and more successful than those companies that are not. And so I like to say to leaders, to business leaders, not only is this the right thing to do from a moral and a societal standpoint, it's also the right thing to do for your shareholders or or for your you know employees or for whoever else has a financial stake um, in the success of your company. Uh, it's it's you know a lot of times we hear in life about how doing the good thing it always isn't the smart business thing, right? And that's kind of a, a, a battleground. Well, this is a situation where you can do both. You can do the right thing for society and the right thing for your company. I love that. I love that. Thank you for that win. I've got a final question for you. What's on your heart? What's on my heart? I really think that for me, what I'm trying to do at this stage of my life is kind of twofold. From a, from a perspective as the CEO of our company, I'm looking to lead our company for the next several years and um, hopefully turn it over to the next person in, in good shape and being able to mentor our team members here and enable our team members to be the best that they can be. Um, and on the other side of, of my life where I'm active in these kinds of issues that we're talking about, I'm just hoping that by, uh, by people seeing my example, they can see that there can be good outcomes. Um, there's very, very often in the trans community, there's a lot of depression. There's a lot of anxiety about, you know, what kind of a life can I have if I follow my, if I follow this path? And, you know, unfortunately, um, frequently in society, more negative things get, you know, more play, more press. So I think it's important that we give positive stories out there so that people can can realize, um, you know, that they can have a meaningful and productive life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for that win. And thank you for your time. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Happy to do it. I'm glad we got it worked out. <laughs> Absolutely. To our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in today. And remember, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time at the table. And as always, we'll have your seat waiting for you.